The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Good evening. And uh, I want to thank the Village Zendo staff who makes these Zoom meetings work and everyone who maintains our online uh, Zendo. It's a great experience to be able to share, uh, even on this platform. And thank you all who are attending my talk tonight. My name is Musho. I'm a senior student here at the Village Zendo, and I'm the leader of the Catskill Zen Circle in Catskill, New York, where I live, where I'm talking to you from tonight. It's a wet, cold, stormy night in Catskill. Uh, but hopefully, it's warm and cozy wherever you are tonight. Uh, I want to say happy birthday to Enkyo Roshi. I saw you out there somewhere. Um, thank you for uh, bringing the Dharma to me and to so many other people. Much appreciated. Uh, I also realized this is newcomers night and I was scanning around on our Zoom and I see many people I don't recognize. Um, and thank you for being newcomers. It's so important to us. And uh, it may seem like there's a hierarchy here at the Zendo with people who have been practicing for a long time and others that haven't. But really, uh, we're all supporting each other. Um, the newcomers are supporting uh, the older practitioners because we need your presence and your freshness. Uh, and we need to hear what you have to share and what you have to bring. So we're all working together. And uh, thank you so much, if you're new to our group, um, for coming along on our journey. My talk tonight has been a very long time in production um, because I was, a, I was meant to give this talk at our year-end retreat at Garrison Institute uh, just a few weeks ago. It was going to be very triumphant in front of 70 meditators in the giant hall uh, at Garrison and with my teachers, all my teachers and, um, and Roshis and Dharma brothers and sisters all there, some of them I haven't seen for two years. But instead, as soon as I arrived, I came down with a ferocious case of the flu and I had to go home right away. It was very disappointing to say the least. Um, but as uh, Roshi Joshin mentioned in her talk, uh, our afflictions are portals, portals of entry, she said, into the sweetness that is the core of this very moment. Our afflictions are a portal. It's beautiful. And the portal that is opening right now even with me talking to you on Zoom. There's a sweetness to it all, and it's beautiful. Uh, at the Garrison Institute, um, we all had to wear masks wherever we, whenever we were together. I noticed that, and uh, there were a lot of precautions um, because of COVID. And I wanted to mention then, and also now, that to not forget that COVID is kind of like a forever present anxiety. It's like a background anxiety for everyone on earth, a constant below the surface stressor. 
And wherever you go, it's as if you have to assess the odds and make a bet actually on your very life. And it's extremely difficult. Um, if everyone's wearing a mask, you wonder maybe you should be wearing one. If no one's wearing a mask, you think, well, maybe I don't need to wear one. If some people are wearing them and some others, there's just a lot of questions. But I was thinking it might be helpful to see COVID itself as a Zen teaching, because it clearly exposes life and death. And it clearly exposes our intimate interconnection and interdependence with each other and all beings. I hope that's helpful because COVID and its collateral damage is pretty incredible. At the uh, Catskill Zen Circle, uh, it's a very small group, but I would say 90% of the people who walk in the door are simply looking for peace. They're just looking for some time to truly relax and have some quiet, and maybe to get away from their struggles. Uh, most of them have experienced guided meditations, like, like, uh, like on apps or something like that, where a soothing voice or music helps them drift away uh, from their business, busyness, and troubles. But then I have to give them our Zen beginning instruction which includes sitting up straight, but relaxed, eyes open, counting their breath over and over again while they fend off torrents of never-ending thoughts. It doesn't sound very relaxing. And I often wonder if that's what they came in there for. Then there are another 10% who have entered this Catskill Zen circle with experience in Zen or other Buddhist traditions. And my space is very simple. I don't have any inspiring Asian artworks or decorations right now. And I wonder if these people are wondering if I'm ever even doing this properly uh, without all the bells and whistles. It's basically the dilemma of the Zen lay path Right, we have two paths to devoting your life, maybe there's more, to become a priest and to guard the forms, uh, or to be a lay teacher and uh, create the forms that you think might be needed. Um, but luckily for me, our Zen tradition celebrates both paths and all the paths to the Dharma. Um, and uh, even goes out of its way to celebrate the lay path, as it's called, um, the non-ordained path, maybe you could say at this time, since we, none of us, very few of us live in monasteries. Um, and uh, these, the lay path is, is shown to us in some really interesting writings. Um, there's this very beautiful ancient uh, Vimala Kirti Sutra, and Vimala Kirti is kind of a hero of lay practitioners. And then our study text that um, 
we all are speaking about in our in our uh, winter practice period. Uh, it's called The Sayings of Layman Pang. It's a small little book uh, with a lot of beautiful stories in it about um, a very extraordinary lay practitioner. And I think we're talking about uh, Sung Dynasty China in the eighth century. And it's pretty interesting because uh, Layman Pang's teachers were some of the greatest Zen masters of that time. Uh, and though he didn't ordain or take up temple life, and he preferred to have a family, he uh, was always seeking out these teachers to challenge them and to enjoy their company. It's really kind of wonderful. So uh, here's the piece that I decided to talk about. Uh, it's called Story 29 from the Sayings of Layman Pang, The Ox Doesn't Know. One day, when the layman and Sung Shan were out for a walk, they saw an ox plowing the fields. The layman pointed to the ox and said, he's having the time of his life, but he doesn't know anything about it. Sung Shan said, that is, unless Mr. Pang wants to bring the issue to his attention. The layman said, my master always said he never knew what he was doing. Sung Shan said, since I never met Shito, it would be better if I didn't say anything about it. The layman said, what would you have to say after you'd seen him? Sung Shan clapped his hands three times. And then there's a little footnote about the hand clapping, and it says, this is done in a somewhat sarcastic manner. <laughs> so good old um, Sung Shan was making a bit of a comment here with a kind of a sarcastic uh, clapping. It's a very quirky story, and I really love it. And I'd say besides the kind of punchy wisdom that's offered, um, there are two other themes that actually go through this whole book, including this story that I can really appreciate. And they are friendship and a playful spirit. Uh, Aroshi mentioned um, the friendship aspect in her talk. The very first line of the story says that Layman and Sung Shan were out for a walk. I think it's beautiful that these two masters were just out for a walk together. And so many of the stories in this book are like that. Um, to have a trusted and accomplished friends that you can chat about with all matters, uh, offer criticism to and take criticism from, it's, it's ideal. It's beautiful, really, and I think it's rare. I'm sure was I'm sure uh, Layman Pang was glad that he wasn't enshrined in a temple, as many of his teachers were, so that he could roam the countryside, visiting his friends and adepts, um, and having a good time. It's so beautiful. If you were to do nothing at a Zen temple other than meet a fine friend, that would really be enough. As with many other stories in this little book, there's also a playful spirit, a, a playful spirit of openness and humor, um, but it's also a critical and very caring uh, playful spirit. It's a playful spirit that honors truth, 
above everything. I feel like we should all visit the altar of the playful spirit as often as possible. And I would say if you were to do nothing at a Zen temple other than embodying the playful spirit, that would be enough. When Layman Pang points out the ox in the field, I'm sure he and Sung Shan were, um, were well aware of the ox being like a symbolic subject of Zen metaphors. And the ox often represents the mind or consciousness in some ways. It's this big, heavy animal that you kind of have to, you have to push him and get him to do things. And it's not easy. And the plowing of the fields also appears uh, in our Zen stories and Buddhist stories that both of those adepts would have known. So at that site, Peng points to the ox and makes this very funny and extraordinary observation. He says, he's having the time of his life, but he doesn't know anything about it. Mm. I was thinking how the time of his life is an interesting expression in English. And I wonder uh, what the original Chinese was, but time of our life works well. I suppose, I suppose it's talking about a peak moment, like a high point, some kind of moment to be celebrated or remembered. I'm sure all of you can maybe think of some event in your own life that you might consider the time of your life, maybe. I've been very blessed to have some great moments where I can remember them. It's good to have some idea of a idea of the time of your life. But it's really only in hindsight that you can define the time of your life you'd have to be able to look back because in the actual moment when these things are happening while the audience is applauding or whatever it is you're doing that seems special, you're really only plowing the fields, you know, doing what you like doing and doing what needs to be done. And you might have even felt terrified at that moment uh, in the case of being on stage or or doing something that you weren't sure you could do. And you'd have no idea that it was the time of your life at that moment. So that's all. It can only be done in hindsight. But if you also think, well, I haven't really had the time of my life yet. The time of my life is yet to come. That might be aspirational. But then you're betting on the unpredictable future. And who knows what will happen. So if the time of your life can only be revealed in the past and it's only a bet in the future, then when is the time of your life? And I think you know where I'm headed here. The time of your life has to be right now. Yeah, right now, sitting here, listening to Musho, sitting in the Zendo or in your home, wherever you are. How about that? And if you could see the time of your life right now in this moment, with all its hopes and fears and struggles, with nothing left out, then 
you have the Dharma eye of layman pang. That's all there is to it. The layman's statement also brings up another Zen ideal. To not have any idea that one's life is occurring. To simply live the moment, doing what has to be done for the benefit of others without self-evaluation. The ox simply plowing the field. It's beautiful, but it's a kind of ideal. So at this point, the wise and slightly sarcastic teacher, Sung Shan, speaks up and asks the layman something about the ox. He says, that is, unless Mr. Peng wants to bring the issue to his attention. I really loved this part because I often talk to my dog and uh, it's a strange thing to do. And it would be funny to see Layman Pang walking out, giving a Dharma talk to the ox. I like that part of the story. It's kind of why I chose it in a way. So, you know, this is great because it, it all at once, Layman Pang is knocked off the high seat. And Sung Shan is smart and fun, but also adds a real issue. What is the point of teaching awareness of ordinary life? It is already being lived. In what way would it be beneficial to a being that always inhabits the time of their life? The layman shrugs off this counterpoint with another amazing statement. He says, my master always said he never knew what he was doing. The layman is speaking of his friend and teacher, Master Shito, another well-known and revered teacher of the time. It's another Zen ideal, as knowing itself can be a kind of hindrance to have preconceived ideas, notions, and expectations that can cloud the experience of reality as it actually is. I was so disappointed that I got the flu that I couldn't see what was happening around me. The disappointment kind of wiped out the experience that I was having. So the old teacher, Shito, must have taught this and then admitted he himself did not know what he was doing in that sense. Maybe it was a kind of humility from Shito, but it was also a, a teaching. But really, who knows? So Sung Shan seems to be unimpressed with this description. And he says, I never saw Shito. It would be better if I didn't say anything about it. But the layman can't leave that alone. And he says, what would you have, have to say after you'd seen him? So Sung Shan claps his hands three times in a somewhat sarcastic manner. I think this is because to admit that you don't know when you're an expert is a folly. And to boast expertise in a world of causes and conditions can be a folly too. So I think in this case, Sung Shan had the final word. You know, expertise and humility, knowing and not knowing, are both vital expressions of our Zen path. To be able to embody both would really be fantastic. And it's hard to do. 
maybe in the end of this end, this little story is about awareness, right? A, a keen awareness of the time of our life right now that is ordinary and natural, not particularly special. But it's a kind of an open awareness to be practiced and nurtured. I think these two teachers, actually three are involved in this story. If you want to throw in the ox, you could say there's three, te four teachers in this little story um, that are helping us to understand. At the retreat, um, when you get to a Zen retreat or even a one-day retreat, if you haven't done it before, you may be able to admit that you don't know why you're there. In that case, you're like Master Shito. And then later, if you feel it's important to practice your awareness and do so with a playful spirit, then you're like Layman Pang. If you're skeptical and looking at reality as it is, then you are the wise Sangshan. And if you're just sitting in Zazen, just as Zazen is, as you've done for years and years, then you are like the ox, just plowing the field. Also, as all the people were gathered there, I had another way of looking at this same thing. When you start session, you're like Layman Pang, open and ready with a playful spirit. When you're exhausted on the second day, you become skeptical and questioning like Sangshan. And maybe towards the end, when you feel like you don't know what you're doing, which is always how I feel after four days of meditation, then you become Shito. And if you've been doing this for years and years, and you're just sitting in Zazen as Zazen is, then you become the ox plowing the field. So I've written a poem to end my talk, as I sometimes do. And here's a poem for Layman Pang's The Ox Doesn't Know. The year-end air is frozen and still. Patches of ice float on the gray Hudson. I always enter the temple with expectations which crumble in the long hours of meditation. With the dignified teachers, we walk to the altar and make offerings to the playful spirit of Layman Pang. The time of our life is now, plowing the muddy field we don't know anything about. Thank you all for your practice, and thank you for listening. <laughs>